0: Shana Leviticus chapter 10 verse 1 And it came to pass on the day of the new moon in the season of harvest the children of Israel with hearts filled with reverence did gather on the Upper East Side in the land of Manhattan to observe the solemn feast of Rosh Hashanah in elegant attire and with solemn countenance, they congregated as one beneath the grand arches of their sacred place. And the sound of the shofar did resound, piercing the air, a call to awaken the spirit within and beckoning them to seek repentance and renewal. Okay, fine. That's not from Leviticus. It comes from the wise and learned Rabbi ChatGPT. GPT. As we reflect on the year gone by, our own achievements and those of the world around us, it is clear that 5783 was the year of AI. The year we learned words like ChatGPT GPT and large language model. The year we started to seriously consider how artificial intelligence will impact our future. There have been no shortage of news articles and opinion pieces about where AI will take us. Some say AI will catapult our world into a more efficient future, expedite curing diseases, better predict natural disasters, improve education, help fight poverty and hunger, and grant us the efficiency to focus our lives on what's really important. Others say AI will destroy us replace us in our jobs, make hacking easier, increase weapons proliferation and warfare, and allow even greater spread of misinformation. Perhaps we should even consider AI forbidden fruit, comparable to the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve lived in a utopian universe with all of their needs cared for, yet they were meant to be limited in one specific way knowledge. Their one and only instruction from God was to refrain from eating from the tree of knowledge. Despite Judaism's emphasis on learning, perhaps there are some things we are not meant to know. Maybe the Garden of Eden is our cautionary tale. The knowledge that we human beings can attain is vast, but if we go too far we will bring about our own destruction, just as Adam and Eve brought about their own eviction from the Garden of Eden. Perhaps, but even if you are of this opinion, the reality is that AI is here and it's here to stay. No matter our opinions on the merits of AI, the most important question we can ask ourselves now is how we should behave in this new world. The Mishnah teaches us that when a person stamps several coins with one seal, they all come out the same. But when God stamps all people with the seal of Adam, the first person, we all come out unique. And that's just it. AI is human-made, not created B'Tselem Elohim in the image of God like humans are. It is an amazing tool, and when used right, it can and will enhance our lives in major ways. But it lacks a neshama, a soul. It doesn't have the spark that makes us human. The experience of genuine emotion, the way we can bond with one another with empathy and compassion, the way we can get chills when we feel connected to something greater than ourselves. There is no replacing that spark. When human beings were created, God breathed into us the breath of life. In Hebrew, nishmat chayim, the nishama of life. Not so for animals, let alone inanimate objects like ChatGPT. Only we have anishama. Only we can possess uniqueness stamped from the same mold, but each our own person, which is what allows for spirituality, emotion, empathy, compassion. Not just the ability to describe those things, which AI can do in an articulate and poetic manner, but the ability to experience them, to live life with a nishama. This is what the High Holy Days are all about. We use a machzor, a prayer book, called Lev Shalem, meaning full heart. When we crack it open to pray, we must also crack open our own hearts. Commit to living with a Lev Shalem, a full heart, being present for life. Living with a Lev Shalem requires us to feel our feelings and not just the good ones. A Lev Shalem, a full heart, includes sadness, anger, shame and despair, right alongside joy, excitement pride, and love. Alev Shalem emits tears of sadness as well as tears of joy. And Alev Shalem recognizes Alev Shalem in another person, bonding them together. The danger of living without Alev Shalem, without the full-heartedness that taps into our neshama, our soul, is not only that we will be spiritually unhealthy ourselves, but that we will miss opportunities for connection with others. There's no better example of this danger than this morning's Haftorah. Hannah, the main character, desperately wants to have a child, but like many of the women of the Bible, she is barren. She cries and weeps. Her pain is visceral, because it comes straight from her neshama. And she cries out to God, detailing her long-suffering and her wishes. She prays with a lev shalem, not with a prayer book like ours or traditional words of liturgy, but with a literal, internal lev shalem, the truth in her heart. She gives voice to the grieving inside of her. Chana's husband Elkanah tries to comfort her in her crying. Chana, why are you crying? He asks. Why are you so sad? Am I not more devoted to you than ten sons? His intentions are good. He really wants to be there for her, but he misses her. Instead of opening up his own neshama to the pain in Chana's tears, he wishes she could just cheer up. Then Hana goes to the temple to continue her prayer, and she encounters Ellie, the priest. Seeing her distraught, weeping, and talking to herself, Ellie cannot fathom that she is praying from the heart, that this is what genuine prayer could look like, and instead assumes that she is intoxicated. He chastises her. Sober up. Khana explains her woes to him and he understands but he sends her away still not willing to sit with her in her grief there is a saying that the only way to get over feelings is to go through them even though she was surrounded by people who couldn't understand that's what Khana had to do and that's what we have to do too in our moments of despair struggle. Feel it. But unfortunately, like Elkanah and Ellie, we are trained to run away. We are trained to see someone who is experiencing the depths of human emotion and try to stop it, cheer them up, and move on. I am here to tell you that AI can do that for you. If the best you can do in a moment of deep emotion and genuine humanity is what Elkanah or Ellie did, AI can replace you. Because it is those very emotions that make us human. We humans are the only creatures that shed tears due to emotion. That ability to feel so deeply is our spark of humanity. Burying that in shame has never worked, and it will especially not work in a world with AI, a world where our emotions are what distinguish us from ChatGPT. Of all the stories that we could read on Rosh Hashanah, why do we read this one about Chana? Because in it, we see two distinct paths forward. Each year, we read this story and ask ourselves, who will I be? Elkanah and Eli or Hannah? This story is relevant every year, but it has never been more relevant than today in a world with rapidly developing AI. Today, we stand before God begging for our prayers to be heard, and answered. Our tradition and liturgy give us three ways to make God listen, three core concepts, teshuva, tefila, and sedaka repentance prayer, and righteousness. With the goal of developing our neshama in mind, we can see these three concepts as the concentric circles of our lives. What is the world we want to live in? What are the relationships we want to have? And who is the person we want to be? Let's begin with tzedakah. Commonly understood as charity, but coming from the word tzedek, which means righteousness, justice, fighting for the world we want to live in. When we ask a question, An ideal form of AI should respond with a consistent answer each time. But when it comes to ethical questions, the status quo may not be the ideal. We might think that emotions would cloud or bias our judgment, but it's actually just the opposite. Seagal Samuel, a writer for Vox, explains that the whole concept of moral behavior could not exist without human beings sensing that something is unfair or cruel. AI might be great at consistency and the world as it is, but what about when we're not looking for business as usual? We must rely on our humanity, our emotions, our empathy, to let us know that we need to answer the question differently than ChatGPT would. Seagal Samuel quotes a recent paper on AI moral enhancement by philosophers Richard Volkman and Kathleen Gabriels. When Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus to a white passenger in Alabama in 1955, she did something illegal, they write. Yet we admire her decision because it led to major breakthroughs for the American civil rights movement fueled by anger and feelings of injustice. Having emotions may be essential to make society morally better. Having an AI that is consistent and compliant with existing norms and laws could thus jeopardize moral progress. We might think that ChatGPT would provide us with the best answers, but it cannot listen to the still small voice within. The one that lets us know when something is wrong and needs to be changed. The voice within that Moses heard when he saw a slave being beaten in Egypt, even though that was the norm. The voice within that Judah heard when his brother Benjamin was to be imprisoned unfairly, even though that is precisely what happened to Joseph without protest the voice within that Queen Esther heard when she insisted that Achashverosh listened to her, even though it was not the norm for the queen to insist on anything with the king. In all of these moments, ChatGPT would have provided a different answer. The answer of the status quo, even when that status quo is unjust, when we think about the concept of tzedakah, righteousness, and justice on Rosh Hashanah, we ask ourselves in a moment of an ethical dilemma, are we guided by what is expedient or are we guided by what feels right? Our second concept is teshuva, repentance. We are called upon at this time of year to heal our fractured relationships. And it's only natural that the first fractured relationships that come to mind are the ones where the problem is obvious, the ones where we've had a screaming argument or the ones where we've stopped talking to one another entirely. But these are not the only relationships that need healing. The cold peace between you and your sibling the vague pleasant texts exchanged between you and the person you used to call your best friend. These relationships, too, need work. If we want our relationships to be real, we can't be afraid to talk about what's really going on, the issues lying beneath the surface. I experience this all the time as a rabbi. Someone comes into my office frustrated about how many family members can be honored with an aliyah at their daughter's upcoming bat mitzvah, and it turns out that what they really needed to talk about was the strained relationship with their brother. Someone emails me a question about the clergy's availability over the next few days, and when I call, I realize that their mother is nearing the end of life, and they want to know who will be able to do the funeral. Someone complains bitterly at an evening committee meeting about the late time these meetings happen. And when we talk one-on-one, I realize the person is fearful of walking home in the dark after a recent traumatic incident. There is often more going on under the surface than we realize. And our job is to help someone feel comfortable to peel back the layers. And you don't have to be a rabbi to know that words said out loud aren't always the full picture. We have all had conversations where we have an inkling that there's something going on under the surface. And it takes practice, exercising an emotional muscle to get there. Is your friend really upset that you forgot their birthday? Or do they feel neglected and left behind by you in general? Is your spouse really upset that you didn't empty the dishwasher? Or do they feel that you take them for granted or don't do your fair share? Is your colleague at work really upset that you didn't copy them on an email? Or do they feel excluded or undervalued? Get to the next level. Because AI can't do that. AI can address a surface level concern, a symptom, but not the underlying disease. AI can't do teshuva. The third concept of these high holy days is tefillah, prayer. This brings us back to Hannah and her genuine prayer from the heart. The rabbis modeled what ideal prayer should look like after Hana, deep, personal, and raw. And it requires tapping into our neshama. I could share many examples of tapping into raw emotion in our neshamas, but the one we all know best from the summer gone by is the Barbie movie and Barbie's first experience of real emotion. In Barbie world, She knows that something is gnawing at her, but she cannot understand or express it. Only once she travels the long road to the real world can she sit down on a bench, feel a teardrop roll down her face, and understand what it is to feel sad, alone, afraid, uncertain. Plastic dolls and artificial intelligence can't experience any of that. The Talmud teaches that even when the gates of prayer are locked, the gates of tears are never locked. When our words and our logic can't break through, tears are the strongest prayer tool we have. Which means that if some, at some point over all these hours we're spending in synagogue, we haven't accessed our neshama in its fullness, in all its hurts and all its prayers, we have not responded to the calling of the day. If we haven't stood vulnerable before God with tears like Chana, if we haven't stood vulnerable before ourselves with a Lev Shalem that is cracked wide open, we have not finished what we came here to do. That is true, tefillah. Teshuvah, tefillah, and tzedakah. Emotions and empathy are what allow us to change the world, change our relationships, and change ourselves. That is what we are here for today. That is what the High Holy Days teach us. AI can do amazing things. Analyzing data, solving problems, there is a lot to be excited about. Counterintuitively, its greatest contribution to our lives may be to remind us of that which is distinctly human. The neshama, the spark, the fact that we are created, betselem Elohim, in the image of God. And I'll tell you one last thing that AI can't do. It can write algorithms, it can write scripts, it might even be able to write your school paper. But it can't write the book of life. That's the book that's open before us today, and only we have the power to write it. What story will you fill your book with? Will it be surface level? An answer that ChatGPT could have written? Or will it be real, emotional, genuine, full, coming straight from your neshama? Shana Tova. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out pasyn.org. See you in Shul. Hallelujah.